Hiya, my name's Katie, I'm 31 and I currently live in Melbourne, Australia and I'm going through the process at the moment of potentially being diagnosed with adult ADHD. So the purpose of this podcast is to talk to you about my journey, about the journey of being diagnosed, the journey of discovery and matching symptoms to adult ADHD Um, and also how it's done, the process and the symptoms that I actually have. So first of all, I would like to make it very clear that at the moment I do not have a diagnosis of adult ADHD. I have been to my GP practitioner several times and she was the first one actually to bring it to my attention professionally. Um, And I also see a counsellor every few weeks and she also agrees with my GP that adult ADHD seems like the potential diagnosis for me and my symptoms. So I suppose really the main purpose of this podcast is to show you my process, to tell you my experience. I know there's a lot out there that I am newly discovering, lots of podcasts and other material available that tells you about adult ADHD and what some of the symptoms are. But so far, I haven't really seen anything online about the process you have to go through, what the assessments are like, how long they are, how much they cost. Um, I have got some very stereotypical adult ADHD symptoms, but there's a whole bank of other ADHD symptoms that I just haven't heard being spoken about anywhere and I actually didn't know they were ADHD symptoms or that they existed until I had to fill out a diagnostic questionnaire for the doctor who will be assessing me for adult ADHD. So I suppose you can come on this journey with me, see what it's like, experience my ups, my downs with me. Um, and maybe it's something that you can relate to, maybe not. But I just want it to be another helpful tool to help you guys out there. If you are a curious about adult ADHD, B, if you think you might have adult ADHD, C, if you're going through the process at the moment, or D, if you have adult ADHD and would just like some further, a further community to be able to connect with. You know, it's really important to understand and to know that we're not alone when it comes to this. Now, I'm not sure that when my assessment comes up in a month's time, that the doctor might say to me, you don't have adult ADHD. In which case, well, what's the point of this podcast? Well, if it's not adult ADHD, it's definitely something. So I suppose you can still come on that journey with me of self-discovery and, you know, help me get the diagnosis that I, at this moment in my life, feel like I so desperately need. It's, it's always been, I've always been different. I've always been unusual. And it's only now that I'm starting to really put all of these weird and wonderful little quirks together to realize, well, at first I thought, oh God, I'm just not normal. What the hell? Like I'm so weird. And, you know, and I've always loved being weird and I've always celebrated that. 
I've always been very comfortable in my own skin and with my quirks. But it's only now coming to my realisation of, hang on, something is unusual here. There's something, these things all seem to relate and all seem to be quite similar to, say, symptoms of ADHD. As I say, it might not be ADHD, but if it's not, at least I've crossed one thing off the list and can continue on my journey Sorry, to finding out what it is that I have. I'm very careful and cautious not to use the words what is wrong with me or why aren't I normal or what's wrong with me because I actually don't think that there is anything wrong with me. I do not think I am at a disadvantage. I just know my brain works a little bit differently to other people's. So I really don't like using that negative kind of negative language and the negative connotations um to do with um brain function and things like that because whilst it might not be the norm it doesn't mean it's not normal it doesn't mean that you're the only one who suffers from some of the same things that I may suffer from so anyway um I like to blab on. I could blab on and on and on forever. (laughs) Talking is definitely something I do a lot of constantly and never run out of things to say. I could talk for England, as they say, like I could talk until the cows come home. And I really want to be conscious not to blab on and on and on Um. Because the purpose is to be informative and not to just blab on about all sorts of rubbish. So the first part of this podcast is going to be about, well, where did this idea of adult ADHD come from? So um, to give you a bit of context about me, I am a primary school teacher here in Melbourne and I've been teaching for nine years now. I'm originally from the UK, as some of you might have heard in my accent, um, but I've been over here in Melbourne for almost six years now. And what brought me over was, so I move a lot. Um, I'm originally from Newcastle in the UK and then I moved to Liverpool for university. Then I went to Sheffield, then I went back to Liverpool and then I moved to Melbourne. So moving for me is quite commonplace and it's not something that I'm afraid to do. Um, I always say I'm like Nelly Furtado, I'm like a bird. Um, I find it very, very hard to stick and settle into one place and already now living in Melbourne for the time I have those itchy feet have come into play again I'm itching for a move and I'm desperate for a new start that's just the way I am and in fact that is a potential symptom of adult ADHD that inability to stay at a pl- in a place for too long or to stay in a job for too long Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is that sets it off, but that is definitely a symptom that I have only recently just found out about. Okay, so to the beginning, I have always been an awful sleeper. 
I've never, ever, ever slept very well. As a child, I used to be a headbanger, which meant I used to bang my head to self-soothe. Um, as a child, against the car seat, against the pillows, things like that. Sleep's never, ever, ever come easily to me. Um, and I've always managed to function without sleep and I've not slept properly or hadn't slept properly in years and years and years. If I ever got intimate with somebody and spent the night with them, well, it was completely good by any sleep whatsoever. Um, me and my counsellor would joke, you know, I said to her, oh gosh, my perfect partner to sleep with wouldn't breathe, wouldn't make any noise whatsoever because that noise just oh, grates in my brain and I'm just waiting for the next snore or I'm just waiting for that next breath and it makes me so mad that I just want to clobber them over the head. And she had said to me, so really, you're looking for a corpse? <laughs> like... I just really struggle to spend the night with somebody because their breathing drives me absolutely crackers. So um, it got to a point, um, I was speaking to the doctor about something, something, nothing to do with anything, to do with anything at all, really. And this doctor was also from the UK. And this is, you know, during COVID times when the UK were in quite a severe lockdown. And um, I was speaking to the doctor during a telehealth conversation and he had just slipped into the conversation. How are your mum and dad doing? How are they going in the UK? And so I had started talking to him about it and I mentioned that my mum was really anxious. And then bang, there's that trigger. I thought, oh my God, hang on a second. I'm really, really anxious. And I want to talk to you about how anxious I am. And he had said, oh, right. Okay. Why do you think you're anxious? What's happening? And I just spoke to him and said, look, I haven't slept in years and years. I'm averaging you know, about two, two and a half hours to get to sleep every single night because I cannot switch off. I can be physically exhausted. I can be in bed reading a book, barely able to keep my eyes open because I am so tired. As soon as I close that book, turn the lights off, ping, I am awake. And <laughs> these thoughts are whirring and whirring and whirring through my head. Um, and he had said, what kind of thoughts are going through your head? So I gave him this example. And I'm very good, I think, at making um, sometimes quite negative or distressing situations into being quite comedic and comical. That's just the way I roll. I love to laugh. I find it's great, a great processing tool for me. So essentially, I told him about some really bad anxiety that I'd been suffering with to do with Philadelphia cheese. <laughs> That's right, Philadelphia cheese. So <laughs> um, in the UK, before I left, they used to have um, chocolate flavoured Philadelphia and I used to love it and I used to put it on digestive biscuits and I felt like I was having mini little cheesecakes essentially and I was walking through the supermarket this was a couple of months ago maybe about three months ago 
and I saw chocolate flavoured Philadelphia. Well, oh my god, I was over the moon, I was so excited, so I bought three tubs. And um, I put them in my fridge, I had some of it that night on a digestive biscuit, oh my god, it was delicious. I get into bed that night, turn off my lights, and I start to essentially panic. I'm thinking, oh my God, oh my God, hang on. Oh, this Philadelphia is limited edition. Like, I only bought three and I could only find it at this one particular supermarket. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I decided the next day when I went on my walk, I would go and buy a couple more. So the next day, I go on a walk. I go to my local supermarket, which wasn't the supermarket where I'd first purchased them. And they didn't have any. So I thought, oh, God, okay, I'll just go to the next supermarket. Went to the next supermarket and they didn't have them either. So I just think, oh, right, okay, tomorrow I'll go back to that other supermarket. It's on the way back from work um, and I'll get some more then. No big deal. It'll be fine. No stress. So I get home that night and I decide to go to bed. Well, you can probably guess what happened once I went to bed, these thoughts whirring through my brain. Oh my God, this Philadelphia is limited edition. What happens if I get to the supermarket tomorrow and I just can't find any more and I've only got three tubs and what am I going to do? And I just could not sleep. So I get up, I get in the car, I drive to the supermarket I think, look, I can't remember exactly, but I buy another three or four. Go to work the next day um, and I'm panicking, still panicking. I don't have enough. Oh my God, I should have bought more. Blah, 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 blah. So I go back and buy six. Um, I'm so frantically getting to the checkout with these six Philadelphias. I drop them all on the floor. The lids go flying everywhere. Like... I'm just in a panic. I've got to get this Philadelphia. Ooh. So I buy those six. Anyway, this went on for a few days um, until I actually had 19 tubs of Philadelphia in the fridge. And I mean, it was kind of a running joke with my friends. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, God, I've got all of this Philadelphia in the fridge. And now there's been a switch in my brain. I don't even want the Philadelphia anymore. Like, I've got too much of it. I've gone off it. Like, I was so obsessed with getting it. And now I've got 19 tubs. And what what on earth am I going to do with these 19 tubs of Philadelphia? It's ridiculous. It's outrageous. Like, ridiculous. So that's the story I brought up to my doctor. And I said, look, I've always been anxious. But I feel like I've always had a reason to be anxious. Something's been going on with my life. So something you should know about me is I've been a prolific data my whole life. Um, I feel like my whole life has just been a carousel of people that I've dated. And they just I go through, you know, I've, I'm a prolific, prolific data. I really struggle to build deep connections with people who... Um, I'm going through the dating process with. Um, so I am single. Uh, <laughs> when I tell stories like the Philadelphia story, I just think, oh Christ, well, you know, is, is it the most surprising thing? 
Um, anyway, so I told my doctor about this experience and he was like, wow, okay, that's really, that's really bad. Um, and I said, yes, my brain is just anxious. If I don't have anything real to be anxious about, it becomes anxious about Philadelphia or something else ridiculous. And I said, I can't believe I almost forgot to even talk about this because this was the main reason why I wanted to make this appointment with you. And now it's just bang, just suddenly come out of the blue as an additional side note to whatever I was blabbing on to him about at the time. So he had said, okay, well, I'd like you to try some melatonin. I said, done it, been there, done that. After three weeks, it didn't work anymore. So he decided, well, we decided, sorry, that I should go on some antidepressants. So um, I got, I've basically gone through quite a journey actually over the past 12 months. So in the Melbourne lockdown, the 17 week lockdown last year in 2020, um, I was so bored. I had so much energy. I was flapping all day, every day, trying to do remote teaching and learning from home. And I just found I had all of this excess energy building up. So I have never exercised before. I'd done, you know, bits of yoga here and there, but I started exercising a lot every single day, doing yoga classes online through my studio, um, doing online bar classes. And that's how I started basically. And since probably about this time last year, actually, I've lost 23 kilos. So it's been a massive, um, you know, there's been a massive change in my body and my mindset and my views and opinions on fitness. And, you know, I, I love the way it feels. I used to hate that feeling of what I thought was being about to die of cardiac arrest, whereas now I'm a bit hooked on it. I love it. I love that feeling. Well, I love that feeling when it ends <laughs> and then I feel better about myself. So um, the doctor had said to me, okay, I want to put you on these tablets, but one of the side effects is weight gain. And I said, look, mate, I've just put in all of this effort to lose this weight. Don't put me on something that's going to make me fat because that's going to make me more anxious. So we decided to put me on a different type of antidepressant, essentially, which also works as an anti-anxiety medication. So I go on these tablets and I, they're awful. They make me feel awful. For the first few days, sorry to be so detailed, but oh God, the worst diarrhea I've ever had for days and days. I was at work, teach. oh God, it was awful. I just hated it. And my body really struggled to adapt to being on the, these pills. And no one had told me these tablets had to be taken with food. So I'm taking them on em- an empty stomach. And one day I got to work and thought, Oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw up. I feel like death. I was white as a sheet, like I just felt awful. So I left work before the day had even begun, 
went back to the doctor and it was a different doctor this time and she had said, are you taking them with food? Because you have to. Because it felt like a hole was being burnt in my gullet. And I said, oh, well, no, I didn't know that. Thank you. So off I go again. But you know what? The longer I'm on these tablets, the more I realise they're not for me. So something in my life, that I hold more dear to me than weight is sex. I have an incredibly high sex drive, which actually can be a symptom of adult ADHD. And this is one that I never, ever knew about and nobody seems to talk about. And I'll go into that in more detail in um, another episode. But um, yeah, essentially... My sex drive from these tablets went from 100 to zero. I remember speaking to the doctor and speaking to my friends and saying, "Um, you know, you know, an ECG monitor, the one that beep, 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 measures your heart rate, you know, we get get to see your pulse on the screen. Yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. What about it? And I'd said, right, well, if you stuck one of those in between my legs and put it up me, it would flatline. Like I said, there is a nothing there. And obviously, I know that's not how ECG monitors work, but that's kind of the only way I could describe it. I said, I feel like I'm flatlining down there. There is nothing. Um, you know, for me, when I'm in bed at night and I want a bit of hanky-panky, two minutes and I'm done. You know, it's not a thing I like to take my time on. It's like, right, two minutes, done. Oh, I spoke to the doctor. I said it took me 12 minutes the other night, 12. And I really, really had to force it. I had to, oh gosh, completely force it. I said, and now I can't sleep because I'm so anxious that I'll never orgasm again. And I'm so, so anxious that I'll never enjoy sex again. I'll never be wet again. And it was just major anxiety. So the doctor said, okay, these if they're causing you anxiety, just being on them, he said, they're not working. And I still wasn't sleeping at this point. Um, so I got put on the ones that make you gain a bit of weight. Did I gain weight? Yep, I gained um, about four kilos all up, but... It's not been too bad, actually. It's been fine. Do I like it makes me sleep. It's wonderful. So for the first time in my life, I was sleeping and I felt amazing. I was going into work. People were saying, oh, wow, something's different. You glowing. Are you in love? What is it? What's different about you? And my response was, guys, I'm sleeping. Um. I noticed a massive change in my memory. So I have the world's worst memory. I've got no short-term memory really at all. I really struggle to retain things. Um, and I noticed improvements in my memory. And I re- found all of this extra energy. I realised, oh, I felt what it was like to function like a normal human being who sleeps. Oh, it was amazing. For a while. And this kind of really started my process into discovering potentially adult ADHD, 
was a thing because the tablets had slowed my cognitive speed or function or something. Erraticness had completely slowed it down temporarily. Um, but as soon as my body became, became adapted to the tablets, I still sleep, which is, thank the Lord, I do. But suddenly my brain zoop, went on fast forward again. It sped up. And I think the difference now to what I was like before I was on these antidepressants is I wasn't used to my brain functioning this way. I think when your brain's always functioned a particular way, you learn how to deal with it and you build up a resilience to it, which is, I mean, incredible, right? But what happened is I had two months of respite, two months where things were slower. I could remember things. I wasn't losing everything every five seconds. I had a better concept on time and how long things took to do, which I've never been able to do before. And it just, I just was living my best life. And then one day, bang, my brain a million miles an hour. And well, what happened? Well, I can't cope. I cannot cope with my brain function this way. I am not used to it. How did I ever develop a resilience to this speed? Oh, like I essentially was borderline having a nervous breakdown. I didn't know what to do. I was suffering from huge sensory overload. Me, the world's largest extrovert who loves to talk, suddenly found herself just unable to communicate with anyone because my stress levels were so high. So um, I had essentially almost a midlife, not a midlife crisis, sorry, almost a breakdown, a complete breakdown. And that's where I'm going to end this first episode today. Um, and I'll go into what happened next in the next episode. Um, I hope that's been interesting to you. I hope it's been helpful. hope you've enjoyed listening to this story of me and my life and you know I'm only merely scratching the surface at the moment there's so much more to go through um but yeah I really hope you enjoyed this first episode of my podcast and I look forward to hearing not hearing sorry I look forward to doing the same next time okay thanks bye-bye